Hello, Changemakers. This episode is a conversation with Nico Moleman, founder and CEO of the steward-owned organization Buurtzorg T. Most of you know Buurtzorg, the biggest community care organization in the Netherlands with the highest patient and employee satisfaction and no managers and minimal overhead. Well, since 10 years, they're also setting up organizations in other areas of healthcare services with similar self-managing principles and huge success, if I may say so, like, for example, Buurtzorgte. Buurtzorgte is active in psychiatric care. They offer care at home instead of admissions for people with severe psychiatric disorders. Nico and I, we talk about their journey since 2013 towards a self-managing and overhead-free organization that treats and assists clients and relatives in their home situation. They are proving in the field this prevents powerlessness and increases the chances of recovery at home. And recovery at home is good for the self-esteem of both the client and those close to them. So it's really a super fascinating and inspiring story. So Nico and I, we zoom in on the first chaotic two years of their journey towards self-management, why and how they had to adapt the Buurtzorg framework and principles for self-management towards their own unique context, why they made Buurtzorg T a steward-owned company. Steward-owned is, in essence, a legal structure that makes the people in the company owner of the company. And lastly, we also talk a lot about operational stuff, like, for example, how the planning process in a self-managing care organization works. If you are inspired by Nico's story, you should definitely consider joining me and Unbossers on our visit to Buurtzorg and really learn and understand how they organize this self-management at scale. We will meet Thursday, May 10th at 6 p.m., with all the participants in a hotel in Almelo, which is near the back office of Buurtzorg. We have a nice dinner, great conversations, and on Thursday, May 11th, we start the day with an intimate dialogue and Q&A with the founder himself, Jos de Blok. Then we join two top-notch workshops with Buurtzorg team coaches, nurses, and staff. We deeply connect with like-minded changemakers and also debate on your own organizational challenges. You'll get exclusive, preparated content, and I'll be there, obviously, to guide you too. So secure your seat, go to our website, www.unbossers.com, click on Experience Calendar and subscribe. I'm really, really looking forward to guiding you on this super inspiring learn journey and learn more about Buurtzorg and Buurtzorg Day. But for now, get ready, set, and go. Nico Moleman from Buurtzorg T. So everybody, most of our listeners, they know Buurtzorg. But you are the founder of Buurtzorg T. And before that, they think that's like the, the, the Chinese uh, remake of Buurtzorg. Um, maybe introduce the organization Buurtzorg T to our audience. Okay. Uh, Buurtzorg uh, T is uh, like a variation on Buurtzorg. Buurtzorg is more directed on somatic care. 
uh, in the home of the patient. And Buzzer T is uh, directed on mental health care uh, and also in the environment of the patient. So where normally uh, mental health care organizations invite the patient to their institution, we uh, prefer to visit the patient at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, an, so an in that way, it's, it's the same as a Buzzer because Buzzer also treats people at home with somatic uh, problems. Uh, but also in the way we are organi- organized. Uh, okay. So Buurtzorg-T is also working with uh, self-steering the same way as uh, Buurtzorg uh, does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll elaborate on the, the how and what of that self-management during this conversation. Um, when when did you found Buurtzorg-T? We started uh, thinking of it in uh, 2012. That's when I met uh, Jos. Uh, so Jos de Blok of uh, Buurtzorg. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when we decided that the self-steering and the working with uh, systems, like uh, was the context in psychiatry, fitted, fitted very well together. So then we had the idea. But we, and we had a period of chaos from 2000. 12 till 2014 and uh, as i learned later that's uh very normal for an organization with self-steering that it starts with uh, chaos uh, and from 2014 now uh, we started to function uh, like a regular mental health uh, organization okay and we are today 2022 almost 23 we might say that Burtsorgte is quite successful in the market. Yes, we, we so we started with uh, two very small teams. Yeah, of only three or four uh, people, and I was the only psychiatrist at that time. Uh, but nowadays we have uh, seventy teams uh, spread over the country, and uh, also about seventy psychiatrists working for Burtsorgte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in in our preparation uh, meeting, you also mentioned that you are the only organization in your market where there's a waiting list for psychiatrists that want to join Burtsorgte and come work for you. Is that correct? Yeah, not yeah. in every area, because there are areas in, in the Netherlands where hardly anybody lives, so that's... Uh, even more difficult, but in most uh, places, it's very easy to find uh, employees, uh, not only psychiatrists, but also nurses, uh, while at the same time, yeah, that's a big problem eh? everywhere in Europe and uh, well, uh, certainly in the Netherlands, to uh, keep your employees motiv- motivated to do the work. So, so a lot of people leave the healthcare especially leave the mental health care uh, institutions. So they have to, in uh, many places, they have to close departments and close clinics because there's a lack of uh, uh, people working there. And we are in the, yeah, in the, in the, in the very luxurious uh, position that, yeah, that we have waiting list for most of the professionals. Okay, so let's, let's dissect a little bit uh, where that... Uh, success comes from as you as you mentioned 
the initial set of of Bürzrechte, the 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 organizational model was inspired on the the previous success of Bürzorg, which at in 2012 was already at about 10,000 people i suppose at 10,000 yeah. employees um but let's let's first point out to the audience that there are some difference some extra challenges let's say in terms of Bürzrechte for example you guys are directly liable yeah um and from from the services you deliver and there are also per team uh, there's a, a, a higher diversity of roles in the team which makes things also a little bit more complex right that's an uh, important uh, difference uh with Bürzorg you have like two or three different disciplines working in a team and it makes working without a higher ERG uh, and with health steering more and self-organization it makes it more uh, uh, easier to uh, to do uh, and when you have a lot of different disciplines like with Bussorté we have nurses uh, we have uh, psychologists uh, of different educational levels we have uh, doctors we have psychiatrists then it's more complicated to prevent uh, uh, IOG mm -hmm. um, yeah because many disciplines tend to to now uh, you are the unbossers and many disciplines uh, have the the tendency to want to want to be bossy like psychiatrists like to think that they should manage the teams and certain psychologists also think that they they should manage the teams so that was that was a, a an interesting process to to prevent that yeah 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 the the more indeed the more different roles in one team the the higher the chance that one of those disciplines or roles thinks that they are the real responsible for the outcome and that therefore yeah. they should be able to control what the rest of the team is yeah. doing. Yeah. So, and that also yeah. has to do with the fact that uh, in the Netherlands we have the yeah, a system in which you have what's called a regiebehandelaar in Dutch, like, uh, yeah, like the, the, the end responsible uh, person in the treatment. And most of the time, these are the psychiatrists. So if something goes wrong in the treatment, for whatever what reason, the, psychiat the psychiatrist is held responsible. Mm -hmm. so that yeah, that's, that's how it typically is in your market. Yeah, but, that, but yeah. Also that's how it's, it's arranged by law. Mm -hmm. also okay, by yeah. insurance agreements. So that's gives these uh, psychiatrists a special position in the treatment mm -hmm. makes it even more difficult to be at the same level with the other disciplines in yeah. the team. Yeah, to create uh, a level of equality between all for the team. members yeah. in the team. Yeah. And for so them. what are what are for you the you sometimes mention that that Bürzorgti is self-management to the next level compared to Bürzorg. <laughs> Let's <laughs> and <laughs> and even uh, I think Jos will uh, will agree with. Um, why is that? What did you specifically have to adopt along the way? Um, and and what yeah, what did you have to improve 
um, starting from the Bürzorg model to adapt to the needs of your organization and your market? Uh, you're uh, right. Jos and I, uh, we had a lot of discussion about it. Um, uh, and nowadays we uh, agree on this uh, subject. And um, I always had the thought that when you have an organization with uh, self-organization, self-steering, then um, it's strange that the teams who are fully responsible for what they're doing, for the acquisition, for the treatment, for, for everything, uh, for finding a location for the for, uh, for the office, for now uh, you name it. Everything, yeah. Everything that they don't have any um, uh, independency on the financial level and that they're still uh, a manager like me, uh, the only one who takes the decisions when it goes about money. Mm -hmm. um, and also that uh, there's not only like a CEO, but there's also there are owners who have the shares of the company and it used to be Jos and me who are uh, well, well who have right to, to uh, share in the profit of the organization mm -hmm. so yeah the so there's work, the team yeah. will work they're self-organized they do everything but the uh, the owners the shareholders they uh, uh they get all the dividend paid for it. Mm -hmm. now, we, never paid our, we never paid any dividend with Bursorte because we are growing so fast and we needed all the money for our own growth. But in the future, the situation would be, so imagine there's a 1 million euro profit and then uh, Jos and me would uh, now, uh, have the dividend out of that and the employees would, wouldn't have anything. So what we decided to do is to sort of make Bursorte owner of itself. Um, that's a sort of the concept of steward ownership. Mm -hmm. And that means that uh, Jos and I have, uh, we have uh, 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 we gave our shares uh, to an investor and the investor paid for it, which made made it possible for Bursorte to grow, to and uh, to have further growth. But we also agreed that Bursorte can buy back these shares for the same amount of money as the investor paid for it. So in the end, the the, the shares will be in the hands of Bursorte. So then if there will be profit then it is uh, it, it is beneficial for all the employees and for for the whole organization. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we are so sort of uh, now we're working with stewards, uh, and these are the ones who sort of guide the the mission and the soul of the the company. And these stewards have the the final rights in the same way as that shareholders had before. So the all the uh, the, the the ones who designed within Bursorte are the stewards. And the shares they have are separated from the 
uh, uh, you call it financial shares, the, the, the shares who, who give right on the financial company. Yeah, so you have kind of A and B type shares and the yeah. sewers, they have a specific type of shares which gives them authority to take decisions, um, but they're not linked to the financial gains uh, of the organization. Thank you. That's uh, exactly yeah. how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, the, the, so one. Let me summarize for our listeners. So, because you personally believe that there was a gap between the fact that, on the one hand, well, the difference between Bursorichte and Bursorich is Bursorich is a foundation, and Bursorichte is uh, a profit organization. Therefore, it requires shareholders. The shareholders decided to implement a self-managing organizational model, which means that the different teams are responsible from A to Z for whatever is needed to create value for your patients. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing so successfully. Hence, there's a profit being generated in the organization. Since you're growing fast, you've reinvested that profit in the organization, but in the future, it might be that there's that there remains profit for dividends in the organization, and then it would be only you or Jos uh, who could receive those dividends. Or there are probably ways, at least in Belgium, there are ways. So in, in Netherlands, I suppose to 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 get this uh, a share of the profit to your employees, but then you have to pay a lot of taxes on that as well yeah. in Belgium. Yeah. And so yeah. you guys decided to kind of find a way to, through steward ownership to make um, uh, everybody at Buurtzeugte uh, a co-owner of the organization. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, cool. That's that's a, a, is, in in the practical... Oh, sorry, go ahead. The profit is not uh, going anymore to yours or to me, but now it's... Mm-hmm. It stays in the organization. Stays in the organization. Is there in the practical day to day also differences between how your teams work, at least your teams, the teams at Buurtzorg T, and how a team at Buurtzorg works in terms of self management? Are there any clear differences? No, it's very much the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, the way they are organized, the way they make decisions plan the work that's uh, quite quite similar mm-hmm. okay so uh let's let's segue to uh, uh the next topic a lot of organizations today they claim to be customer oriented uh, customer centric um and then they really wonder why what does that mean how do you act out customer centricity in your market, typically the customer, the patient, comes to the psychiatrist or the, the, the organization to get care. You guys decided to switch that around and to go to the home of the customer for the, to provide care. Could you elaborate on that? What is the philosophy behind it? Um, what are the effects? What is the, the added value for the customer? And so on. Hi, Changemakers. As I already mentioned in the intro, on the 10th and 11th of May 2023, Ambassadors is co-hosting an open event with Jos and Taz de Blok from Buurtzorg. Founded in 2006, Buurtzorg is a fully self-managed home care organization that has grown to plus 14,000 employees today. Customer satisfaction is the highest in their segment, while employee satisfaction is second to none. 
Participants will learn more about self-management in practice at scale in this one day than in any other training or consultancy track. That is my personal promise, and I'll be there to guide you through this inspiring learning experience. So if you're interested, just go to our website, www.onbossers.com, click on Experience Calendar, and you'll find all the information you need there, and you'll be able to subscribe as well. That being said, let's go back to our fascinating conversation with Nico Molleman, founder and CEO of Buurtzorg T. So normally the, it's the general practitioner who uh, suggests the patient to go for treatment uh, and who arranges uh, helps with, with starting uh, the treatment. Um, and then the patient comes in an uh, institution, mental health care institution, where he goes through a sort of procedure it's also a start of uh, like in investigational uh, conversations, like an intake, uh, uh, um, a psychiatric uh, investigation, and so on. And uh, so he goes into a process procedure in this institution, uh, by which the professionals sort of come to a conclusion of what's wrong with the patient and what the treatment should be. And then the patient follows this treatment and, well, if, if he's lucky, then it's, uh, it works and at the end of the treatment he has less uh, symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's very uh, hierarchically organized in the same way as the institutions are organized. And you, you also have like the pyramid structure in the, in the institution and the mm-hmm. same structure the same structure is also is Im- implemented in the treatment. So the patient has to do what what the professionals say that's uh, that's best. And one characteristic of that, that kind of treatment is that prof- professionals talk a lot about the patient while the patient is not present. So the experts are talking about the patient, uh, what's the diagnosis, what should be the treatment plan, and so on, and then they present it to the patient. And one rule we uh, adopted when we started with Bursote was that we, and as a, I think that's one of the most important uh, uh, rules in our uh, in, in in our framework, is that we don't talk about the patient when he's not there. We only talk about the patient when the patient is there. Mm, full transparency. So, yeah, that, yeah, that gives a, a, a huge difference in how you communicate. So that's one uh, big difference. And the other one is, as you mentioned, we don't, uh, if the patient comes to the clinic, then he always is the guest with, uh, with the professional. But when the, uh, you visit the patient at home, then the professional is the guest in the home of the patient. And then you have a totally different relation. Yeah, you, have, you switch the power dynamics. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, you have to behave as a professional when you visit the patient at home. And the patient decides whether he or she uh, offer, offers you a cup of coffee or something like that. So that's a totally different dynamic, which, mm-hmm. which leads to much more uh, equality. And equality, of course, is the basis of, uh, of the self-organization, uh, as, we, as, as we spoke of before. 
And by working this way, equality also becomes the, the dynamic and the basis of the treatment. Mm-hmm. And that's totally different. Yeah, it's an interesting observation that in other institutions, the hierarchical, in, the, the internal hierarchical structure is actually also applied to the service provided to the customer. Yeah. That And what I hear you saying is that because we believe in equality also internally, um, we apply that same concept in our relationship to our customer slash patient. Yeah, I think that you can see see that often this this uh, sort of parallel dyn- dynamics in organizations, the way the organization it has formed itself, is organized its, its itself, influences the relation with uh, customers. And uh, I was all, all, always very uh, impressed by the positive reports of Buurtzorg patients about the treatment. It's like uh, very high uh, figures. Mm-hmm. I think it has to do with this, with this uh, sense of uh, equality and influence in the treatment. And the same effect we have with uh, Buurtzorg. Yeah, and I, I can also imagine that for um, for your people, when they visit a customer at home, they get tons more uh, nonverbal information, like what's the state of the apartment, uh, is there food in the fridge, all kinds of things that might indicate certain things and might help them uh, coming to a treatment. Yeah. You really the, it, it, there's a there's a there's this phrase. Um, in management theory, which called zero distance to customer. Well, what you guys do is really zero distance to customer. You try to cl- close the gap yeah. between you and the customer as much as possible. Yeah. Um, if I would be a devil's advocate, I can imagine that there are, there are doctors saying, or, or psychologists or psychiatrists saying, yeah, but there needs to be a gap between the psychologist and the patient. And isn't there a risk in in becoming too close? Yeah. What is what is your response there? Yeah, sure. The, the uh, normally, uh, um, yeah, in most of the institutions in Netherlands, uh, they prefer to work with professional distance, and uh, so you have the professional, and you have the, uh, uh, the table, and, and the other side of the table is the patient. And the patient is the one with the illness, and the professional is the healthy one. So that's very separated, and that's that has a lot of advantages. Uh, professional distance, and also you prevent uh, yeah too close uh, relationships and too much dependence in a way. And uh, in our way of treatment, that can be uh, a, a danger that the the patient becomes too dependent on the uh, the one who does the treatment and thus the treatment becomes longer than necessary and we have also thought about that and so on we have also an important sort of internal law in our framework and that is that uh, a, pa- a patient is never treated by only one professional but by the whole team so if a patient is uh, recovered, that's sort of uh, uh, achievement of, of the whole team. 
and the patient has at least uh, three members of the team uh, having contact with the patient. And uh, every five to ten times, the patient is visited by two uh, uh, professionals mm. to sort of evaluate the treatment, but also to evaluate the relation between the patient and the other professional. Okay, so, and doesn't doesn't that drive costs way high if you always have to visit them with two people? No, not always. All, uh, every five to ten times. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But uh, I think it uh, it uh, it lessens the cost very much because if you have like a second opinion from a colleague, then often the idea is from okay, you achieved a lot in the treatment. So what what be, would be what would be further goals or did you reach all the goals maybe? And often it helps to uh, end the treatment relationship mm -hmm. earlier. And if you don't do that, then you have this one professional who visits the patient every, maybe in the, in, in the beginning, every week, and later on every two weeks, and every three weeks. And yeah, and what's the moment to stop? It's very difficult mm -hmm. to decide. Yeah, and, and do you also see this reflected in the results of Buurstorgte compared to similar institutions in your, your market that you... I don't yeah. know what the key med indicators are, but is there a faster recovery of patients? Is there, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it is very, that, that's a, a very difficult point in mental health care to measure. We try mm -hmm. to do a lot of uh, research on that because we also want to sort of make clear to the insurance companies that our way of working is not only more pleasant, but also for the, for the, for the employees and for the patients, but also more uh, efficient. Um, if, if we compare our cost of treatment for like for one treatment, uh, whole treatment for a patient, and we compare it to comparable organizations, you have some in the Netherlands, like uh, the FACT teams and the uh, uh, EHT teams, they also treat patients with severe problems uh, at home from a different concept. Then our costs are about uh, 25-30% less than these teams. Okay. So, I think, uh, yeah, and at the same time, uh, the way we are organized makes that our overhead uh, is much less than in other organizations. So, we have like uh, about 20% more time uh, which we can use for the treatment instead of uh, for uh, bureaucracy or administrative processes. Mm. Um, I want to go back to the, the the two operational, rather operational things. The first is, how did you deal with that uh, diversity of roles? It, is, if, if there's one of two best practices that really helped you create equality across those different roles, what would those be? Um, so what helped us to create the equality? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think one important important thing is that well, nor normally uh, most of the organizations work uh, on the basis, and it has to do with uh, ARG, with control. 
So you have uh, like management who controls uh, departments and uh, well, and then for instance, on the department, the psychiatrist who controls the uh, employees and then the, uh, the, uh, the professionals control the patients. It's also like a parallel process. And when you work with self-organization, then trust is very important. So you sort of, uh, I as a CEO, uh, have to trust my employees, my professionals, that they are able to do their work in a good way. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I can give that trust to the teams, then in the teams, people will uh, also tend to uh, have more trust in each other and uh, each other professional capacities. And so we have to work with uh, psychiatrists. That's what we learned. Uh, and with, with like clinical psychologists who are able to um, sort of judge the, the team members and when they have the idea that they are competent also to really to trust them. And if you do it that way, uh, and if the psychiatrist uh, can trust the, um, the the professional that he will be asked for help if necessary, then you get another way of working. But if the psychiatrist would have the need to control all the professionals because he, he doesn't know what what they are doing when he's not there, and then it doesn't work. So that was the, the main thing to, uh, to to help, like the the, the final responsible. Professionals like the psychologists and psychiatrists to help them to adopt a more coaching uh, role based on trust and uh, trust instead of uh, a controlling role. Mm -hmm. And that you did that by coaching them, giving them trainings, giving them tools, talking a lot about it, and talking by, a lot, <laughs> talking, yeah, and, and 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 we learned, yeah, that you that we that the teams can sort of, uh, if they have uh, solicitations, that they have to be keen on that item. You need the, the right kind of uh, personal type to do that, to be able to, to work in that way. Mm -hmm. if, you have, if you have a very controlling and obsessive uh, psychiatrist, then he won't fit in the model of Bruce So probably you 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 already worked with psychiatrists who left the organization yeah. because yeah. of that yeah yeah, yeah. Ooh, and how how strict are your how, how strict are you in in guarding that like from the moment that you notice that a psychiatrist has a strong tendency to control how do you intervene so where's the breaking point between talking about it and then saying ah oh, maybe you don't fit in this organization yeah, the, 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 uh, most of the times the teams will signal that it doesn't work. And we have some, we have, uh, this moment we have two uh, coaches, uh, who visit the teams and can be asked to visit. So if a team has an, uh, yeah, a thing to discuss about self-steering or about, about the functioning of the team and they can't solve the problem themselves, they can always ask the coach. So normally yeah. the coaches are asked. Okay, get it. 
and they will start from and they will start the, the, the yeah help the team yeah. that, that's also that's a similarity you have with Bursorg, yeah I, I think it's by yeah. the ratio is one coach per 50 employees I think uh, more more or less or per 100 employees um, yeah. which is a concept which uh, I've, I've I found in traditional organizations is quite difficult to to sell yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I, I, well maybe managers feel threatened by it or they they don't really get why it's so important but uh, both at Bürtzorg and in your organization it's 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 actually an, a crucial element of the success and also yeah. that so the coaches also have a training that they don't start behaving like a manager <laughs> or like gurus <laughs> yeah. they should listen very uh, carefully and help the team with the decision making but don't make decisions for them no for don't instance, intervene yeah, yeah. yeah for instance if a team they can they can have a, a problem with the psychiatrist but also with an other team member and imagine they say well we have one nurse and it doesn't work and then the coach would decide something and say, "Now I think uh, he should stay, or you should." Sit. And then, then always the team afterwards will say, "Well, you made us do this, and it doesn't work." So it's important in, in self steering and self organization. It's very important that the team, the team is like the autonomous factor in the organization, and the te- teams should decide for for themselves. I also never take decisions in a busy day. How difficult is that for you? Now, in the beginning, very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, because yeah. I was also sort of uh, brought up in uh, in in, not again, in the medical system, and yeah, you're sort of uh, educated uh, in in making these decisions for other people. Yeah, um, but it works much better not uh, not to do it. Yeah, uh, I sometimes I also say that my uh, view on uh, humans, on the human being, uh, on how people are, has uh, in these last ten years that I was the CEO of this organization, has became much more positive. Because in former organizations, I was in a more controlling role and not anymore. And, uh, well, it's impressive to see what people can, are capable uh, to when, when they work in the right environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, and if and I recall, little, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and how little they need uh, guidance or directions mm. from a CEO. And if I recall your introduction, you ha- you and your people had to go to through two years of chaos to probably for you to let go of control and for them to take up ownership. Yeah. And that that transition is chaotic. Yeah. So my main question there, Nico, is how did you hold the journey? You know, how did you make sure that you that the chaos didn't push you back? to an old way of working. Yeah. Um, well, we stayed very small in that uh, chaotic uh, period. We even became smaller mm-hmm. instead of growth. 
And um, I talked a lot uh, with Jos about this uh, in this period. And what, well, what I noticed when visiting teams. Uh, so in 2014, I started as the CEO, uh, bestuurder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and when I visited the teams we had then, then I, I noticed that they all worked in a different way. So there was not a piece of tape way of working. And that's when I started working on uh, what's called the, the Carter book that would be like the framework book, which is mm-hmm. a very thin uh, uh, booklet in which, uh, so I had uh, talked with all the teams about how, how do we want to work? What do we think that is uh, useful mental health care? Uh, that seems like not talking about the patient when he's not there, uh, working with the family, uh, having a lot of contact with the general practitioner. All these things, all these items were put in this booklet, but which is our framework. And that was developed in this period of chaos, so to mm. say. Yeah. And, and, and then you could say that you needed the period of chaos in which you had different teams doing different things, experimenting with different things, so that you could abstract the principles that work across all teams into your framework. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, and that was the basis for for by further grow. And nowadays, if there's a team, and when they have a, like a, a, a new uh, a colleague working for for them, they always uh, introduce this uh, framework booklet, and they ask them, "Can you agree on these items before a person starts working with Bursote?" Mm-hmm. And these things in the booklet is like our uh, that you could say that. Yeah, yeah non-negotiable rules or whatever. Yeah, uh, uh. Um, we're approaching the end, but there was a second operational topic that I want to touch upon, and that is the planning process. Because typically, if a, a t- the type of organization that you have and it grows, um, the planning process is typically a process in which bureaucracy can really slip in. For example, that the teams at one point say, hey, we need a central de- central team that does all the planning for all the teams. It's going to be more efficient. Can you explain me why that if if there was a tendency to do that or not, and why you don't have a, how you organize planning today, and um, what are the way offs that you take into account into your planning process? Well, we don't have a planning uh, process. Okay, let's start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We don't know. No, the, um, so there's no central planning team. There are no planners in your organization. People no. that do nothing but plan appointments with patients. Yeah. That's done by the psychiatrist, the psychologist, and the people in the team. Yeah, in the team. Normally, like in a classic uh, organization, you have this uh, planning, and eh? you have you have, you have a, like a central uh, team for. for uh, for intake, uh, etc., and you have a planning department, and that is because uh, in many organizations the treatment process is is seen as a, like a protocol or a pr- procedure. If you can uh, uh, plan a treatment protocol of like 
10 sessions, so that will take 10 hours, and then you can start planning with the patients. But in our case, every treatment is uh, different. Sometimes it's only one or two sessions, and sometimes it's uh, two times a week uh, during month, depending on what's necessary. So even if he would have a planner, he, he would get mad because uh, it would be impossible to, to change that. And is the diversity, uh, the organic way of, 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 of treating is sort of characteristic of, uh, of Bursote. So uh, every patient of every uh, professional uh, has a certain amount of time available for treatments. That's his or her own responsibility. And uh, when uh, a patient is helped, then he or she will uh, say in the team that there's more space for treatment in, in his or her agenda. And then uh, and, and the, the, the patients are uh, uh, admitted by the general practitioner. So if, if the, the, he will call with the, the, the team member who has the telephone that day and say, well, I have a patient here, they will talk about uh, the indication for treatment. And then the one who has uh, talked to the general professional, professional will discuss it in the team and they will decide to start the treatment and when. And if there's very much treatments and very much patients, then the, the team can decide, well, with so many uh, new patients now, maybe we should look for a new team member and make the team uh, bigger. And uh, sometimes it goes so fast that they say, let's sp split up the team in two teams because we have many admissions in this uh, in this area. Mm -hmm. So it's all done in a sort of in a sort of organic way in the teams. Yeah, and the the advantage of that is that they plan treatments with the patient in mind. Whereas if you have a planner who has no contact with patients, whatever, uh, whatsoever, they plan in terms of uh, capacity and cost. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's basically their main driver. Yeah. yeah. We we plan on the uh, on the on the content, uh, and often in procedures protocols, the planning is on uh, financial motives. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, although I think for some organi uh, some people in 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 organizations, almost uh, difficult to to believe that it's it's possible to to do that kind of planning in an organic way. Yeah. If, if you're, if you're used to that protocol approach, like really industrialized uh, care of patients, it's, uh, it's sometimes impossible to imagine that there's an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. But when you, when you uh, experiment with it and when you work that way, way it's very satisfactory. We had a uh, uh, recent uh, investigation uh, on the, the satisfaction of our employees and the people who did the uh, research couldn't believe the results. They said this is impossible for, uh, for a healthcare organization and especially for a mental health score, uh, organization. Like the, the NPS, the Net Promoter Score, was uh, 87, which is, I think is even higher than organizations like uh, Google. 
And that has to do with the autonomy of the employees and also of the with the trust uh, in the organization and the fact that there's no planners who, who tell you what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm looking at the time. Um, Nico, thank you so much for sharing uh, some insights of your uh, fascinating organization. I'm sure a lot of people will learn, will take away a lot of things from it. Um, maybe a, a, a funny, a fun last question. If you would be able to send one tweet that you know for sure the entire world would read, what would you tweet to the world? Uh, that would be uh, like an, an uh, English translation of the title of a book of uh, Rutger Bregman, which is I am. the Mason Mensen Deur. Most people are, are good. Most people are good, yeah. Yeah, so they, they they are to be trusted. They are to be trusted. Yeah, and a really uh, good book for people who are still looking for Christmas gifts. Yeah. <laughs> the book of Richard Brichman is really an, uh, a fantastic book to read, uh, especially in these uh, dark times of Christmas. Okay, Nico, thank you so much. Really, from the bottom of my heart, uh, great conversation, and uh, I really, really loved it. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you. Okay, so that is a wrap for this episode of our Embossers podcast. If you liked it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all our future content. For the love of people and business, keep unbossing. (laughs) 